Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon, this is episode 280. I am joined, as always, on this lovely Thursday evening by my co-host, Prez. That is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? I'm good. It's March Madness. There's end-of-season hoops. The Knicks are chefing. World Baseball Classic. You killed Edwin Diaz. To the season for Mets fans. Happy about. Um. Yeah, no, it's a lot of good stuff going on for Knicks fans anyway. I got to say, I watched the end of all the college basketball games, but college basketball is fucking awful. I can't watch that shit anymore. I'm so happy I don't do any draft stuff anymore because it is fucking terrible. Um, but before we talk about any of that, I want to introduce, uh, I don't think this is it might be his second time on the pod. I don't know. He's been on the pod before. He's been on other pods before. His name is Ace Zulo. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow him at Ace underscore Zulo. He is a contributor for Nick's Film School. Ace, how are you doing? Gentlemen, how are we? Uh, third time on the on the Strickland Pod Network. So mm-hmm. I was able to join Prez on an individual basis, then uh, you and Stacy a few months ago now. So yeah, man, happy to be here. Uh, I did not watch any college basketball, so hopefully we're going to steer clear of March Madness in terms of the the analysis, but... I'm kind of with you in terms of how awful the play is. And I'm, I, I'm not I doing a bracket it. either, so there's literally no reason for me to pay attention to it. I did too, but like I just picked. I, I don't think I've ever watched less college basketball than I did this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was terrible. I just I can't. I like literally can't watch it now. I tried tuning into um, games sporadically through the season, and after like two minutes, I'm just like, all right. I so is that because the Knicks are good this year that you just are you're following a really good product on a day to day basis that you just can't even. Right, you know, relegate yourself to the doldrums of college. No, even even last year, I just, I just, I just can't do college anymore. I mean, it helps yeah. that I actively chose not to do any draft stuff, but like, I think even otherwise, I just can't watch it. Like, unless, like, if Michigan was in the tournament, I watch them play. But I didn't watch any of their games this year. Um, seems like I didn't miss much, so that's good. Uh, all right, enough college basketball talk. Before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. You can follow us on there please do. It is at the strick.land on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you're not already subscribed. That would be a huge help to us. Furthermore, the Strickland has merchandise. I'm wearing some of it. New merch. Check it out on store. Uh, You can access it on the website. We have sweatshirts, sweatpants, fleece shorts, t-shirts, hats. You want it. We got it. Uh, it's all there. Check it out. A lot of good stuff. I'm enjoying both the sweatshirts that I purchased. They're great. Um, finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this pod that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful 
weekly premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. There's going to a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. The Knicks uh, close out the West Coast trip 2-2. Two and two. Um, They ended a three-game losing streak and won the last two games of the trip, which was nice. They really just totally took the game to Portland after the first six minutes of the game. Final score was 123-107 or 120, whatever, something like that. Uh, they destroyed them. It was awesome. All around great performance um, without Jalen Brunson, obviously, well, the entire trip, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, like you mentioned, the team is good. So watching a good team, uh, it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. And I find it very funny that people have found new ways to be miserable. I guess we should mention uh, Mitchell Robinson tweeted some stuff or posted some stuff on Snapchat about He's not happy about his role. I'm just going to say this. I don't care. I really don't care. Uh, and I'm, I'm, what I mean when I say that is I like. I think people are trying to make this like a big deal. And it's just like, hey, look, we, we've got two years of this with, with Mitch now where it's like we know that three or four times a year he's going to get on Snapchat or Instagram or something and bitch about he wants to be more involved. And then the world keeps moving. And nobody cares. Doesn't ruin team chemistry. Nobody's mad at him. He doesn't mail it in on the court. He played poorly on the trip, but he didn't mail it in. He just played poorly. Um, so I really like ten times more than that. It doesn't even make the news, but like he very frequently like both talks earnestly and jokes like, "Oh yeah, like this is our offense. Like I, what do you expect me to do? I have to get rebounds and run the court." Like he keeps it. He's very transparent. We know this to the point of like sometimes like put the phone down, bro. But like. He just airs it out there. It, and I think it's one of those things where, like, sure, you might have an issue with him putting it out there. But, like, keep that same energy when he's, like, hosting Nick's talk shows or, you know, like, doing – talking about how his role is super simple in the offense. Like, it's – it's only, like, the only dude who has lower usage than him is, with his minutes is, like, P.J. Tucker or some shit. Like, we could throw him a fucking – post seal entry pass once in the blue moon and it wouldn't fucking tank the offense like at the, i get i get the whole like get it off snapchat thing but i don't care i just yeah, don't i just don't like actually whatever. think it's a big deal <laughs> it's like, not. like the, the way i put it is like there there are people that are freaking out about this and i'm like people are I, like are like get him out of here yeah i i don't i don't get that and then i also what i don't really understand is like i'm like and i'm saying this as somebody who didn't particularly care about this either <laughs> I don't see how this is worse than RJ basically like not talking to the media, but making it clear to them after a game that he was upset he didn't close. Like, I don't like that. I didn't have a problem with that either, to be honest. But that's way worse to me than what Mitch did, where Mitch is just like, he posts some stupid one liner on fucking Snapchat, and that's it. Like, that's, I, I think there's just weird need to like be very upset about something with the Knicks or create drama on the Knicks. And I, I, it was weird how many fans were like so furious about this. And it's like, guys, get a fucking grip. Like the team's really good. If, if the, if the biggest crisis point that we're talking about here is Mitchell Robinson saying he like wants more touches via Snapchat, I think we're fine. I think we're fine. I think the vibes are fine. I'm not worried about team chemistry being ruined because of this. Everything is fine. Everybody needs to calm down, and, and we'll be fine. Uh, Ace, you have any thoughts on the uh, very, very serious 
case of Mitchell Robinson saying stuff on Snapchat? Yeah, I mean, I hate to just echo everything you guys just said, but I think, you know, if this was the first time we had seen Mitch uh, react in this way, I'd be a little more concerned. But as you mentioned, it happens multiple times a year. He's still going to, you know, crash the glass. He's still going to generate offensive rebounds to do all the things that he needs to do. Because as you mentioned, there was that Fred Katz article where he talked about how he will run the court with abandon just to suck the defense in to get his team an open corner three-point shot. So he's very aware of his role and what he brings to the team in terms of his impact and what he can do to to benefit this offense. And, you know, for us to just have this um, sort of transparency with a guy, um, we're just seeing the things that were probably present 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, I'm with you, not a big deal. I think it's the fact that it was deleted um, pretty quick after it was released shows you that, you know, he got some, you know, good advice or he just thought better of it. And we're going to move on. Team's playing um, good ball. So I think there's a, a sense that, you know, is the shoe going to drop and what is that shoe going to be? And sort of that, what was me Nick's attitude where, you know, when you lose for 20 years straight, this stuff can come up, but yeah, I don't, I don't find this to be a big deal. We'll see if it changes the way he plays. And Mitch is a guy where if he is going 80%, we're going to know, and it's going to be apparent and we'll see it. Um, I don't see that happening, but we will know if he's not giving his, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And um, look, let's just talk about the basketball here because the Knicks are very good. And I, I got to say, like, little in life gives me as much joy as um, <laughs> everything related to Emmanuel quickly. But the fact that he's playing, like, I didn't even think he played that great against the Blazers. And you look up and he's got 26 points on like 14 shots, 10 Quiet. Rebounds, three assists. And it's just, I mean, the level he's playing at, I, I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been Dallas that mentioned this in our Discord, but it's like, if you get some kind of average level of performance from him that is some, like, you know, the average of that Boston performance, the Portland game, and say, like... Look at his post-All-Star break yeah. average. It's, yeah. it's, what is it, like, 19 and 6 on 62 true shooting? Yeah, and, and he's playing really good defense, and it's like, I mean, what level is that guy? That To me, that's not just a starting point guard. That's, like, a, a guy who's probably in the up top 15 of starting point guards. So, like, um, you know... And this is not to even, like, none of this is to take away from Brunson. It actually is fucking great that the Knicks, have, they have two point guards. It's great. I I love this world. Um, <laughs> I hope that we never leave this world. But, like, it's it's just an amazing luxury that this team has that they haven't had in forever. I mean, forget two starting point guards. We haven't had one. Um, so, erasure of the J-Kid Prigioni dual point guard backcourt that flourished nearly a decade ago. I am definitely going to erase that. Uh, that was for a shame. Nice, that was shame a fun. On you should. That was. It was a fun season. I'll put it that way. Um, this feels obviously better, but like this team has managed to stay afloat, and I think the the reason why I think fans should actually just be like positive about this team and really stop like worrying when, like you mentioned, when is the other shoe going to drop? And I get that. Like obviously, with all the shit that we've been through as Knicks fans, like it always feels like there's just something around the corner. But this team has weathered a lot of storms this year in terms of injuries. Um, Brunson's missed time. I think they're 500 in games without Brunson. Mitch missed 14 games during probably one of the toughest parts of the schedule. They went 8-6. and six. Um, Like, they have found a way to overcome injuries, overcome absences, overcome... I mean, they've had some, they had some brutal losses to start the year, right? Like, that Dallas loss, I still fucking lose sleep over that. Mm-hmm. I, like, that game was crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, like, the Chicago game, where they just they couldn't make a free throw down the stretch. Like, there's just, there's all these games that they blew, and every, I remember after a few of those, I was like, damn, like, 
I'm down sitting on my couch, like super depressed about this. I don't even know how like, how it must be being in the locker room. So I, I guess like Ace, like when you're looking at this team, are you, I mean, I'm still looking at this Cleveland matchup and I'm like, man, I, I want that matchup. Like, I, I think that's a really good matchup for us. And I think this team has a, a not, not a puncher's chance, like an actual legitimate shot there at winning that series. Yeah, in large part because of the guy you you started this um, conversation on with, uh, which is quickly. And I think part of the thing that is so fun about this team is that they're starting to have these avenues to get to wins that are unique. And you can they can obviously with Brunson and with Randall playing there's there's going to be a certain pace to the game, which is going to be more methodical, more ISO. And then when you have removed Brunson, you've seen what quickly can do in terms of his pace, which to me has been like. You know, I know he he's he pushed the pace a lot last year when he had his opportunity to start. Um, but to me, it's been like this awesome revelation where he's getting that ball across half court multiple times in a half before the, the shot clock gets to the 20. And it just gets the offense into this flow. And yeah, you want Brunson back in there and they need him to ultimately reach their ceiling. But I think the fact that this team can can win in so many different ways now is really exciting and I think is it's been a lot of fun to watch because you see this like dichotomy between what the first unit is and the second unit and the way they run and get up and down the court. And I can't wait for Brunson to get back and get healthy. And it's gonna be this shock to the system if you're playing the Knicks and you're you're dealing with Brunson and Randall ISOing you 70% of the possessions and then they go to the bench and it's like this track meet between with Hart and Toppin and uh Hartenstein throwing out the passes now and quickly pushing the pace. There's so many ways this team can really um, inflict damage on onto their opponent, and it, they're just really versatile. And I, I was thinking about how their roster construction has developed, and I know the Knicks have types, and we've and whether that's in free agency or the draft, but they have put together a versatile, deep team that can weather the storm, as you mentioned, when their top guys are up, because they have that versatility and that these guys that have these untapped potential where yeah when everyone's healthy there's going to be a limitation of what they can do but when you see it when they have their usage jump up a little bit they're not seeing this decrease in performance they're actually being enhanced a little bit as we've seen with quickly more than anyone so it's been so fun to, to sort of analyze and, and watch how how many ways this team can go about getting the job done and even though you know they've lost some games without Brunson overall I think this has been a hugely positive uh, step for them um, I, I think it's, oh. yeah, I, I think it's also just like very, like, there's a belief that comes with, from you, with your team when you can win games without Brunson, when you can win games without Mitch. Like, I, I think they, they came out of that stretch without Mitch and I thought they, they, they knew now they were a really good team. Um, like you saw them coming out of that all-star break. Obviously they get heart right before the all-star break. They go on that little run, right? Where I think it's, they beat Utah, they beat, um, was it Brooklyn? I don't know. They won three straight games, and they were pretty convincing wins. Um, but, like, they come back out of the All-Star break. I mean, that week they had, they beat Boston twice, and then in between the Boston wins, I mean, and they beat the shit out of Boston the first game at the Garden. Then they beat the absolute piss out of the Pelicans and the Nets back-to-back. And then you go to, to Boston without Brunson, okay? Um, and you win this epic double overtime game. And we were talking about this yesterday in our discord. We probably talked about this game like every single day in our discord, by the way. Um, but like, we, we, like it, that game that was, is like daily scripture for the discord. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that's basically where I found God that game. Um, I found we religion. Have, we, in have that the game. Video, we have the video <laughs> footage. <laughs> um, but like, you know, 
one of the things, right? Like, you know, the MSG crowd to me is still like, it's by far and away the best crowd in the league. But like Boston's crowd, they're one of the better crowds in the league. And you could sense from the start of that game that like they were into the game. You could see the Celtics were into that game, right? They had had a couple of brutal losses. The, the Knicks had destroyed them earlier in the week. They blow that huge lead to the Nets. They were motivated to win that game. Um, like that was a really intense game. And that's on the heels of winning that game against Miami. That was really intense. Uh, and it's like, you win games like that and you win tight games like that, double overtime, you know, and then you get a Randall buzzer beater in Miami. Like I never thought I'd see the day. Um, and it's like, as a team, I think it helps you when you come back and then you lose three in a row, you don't feel like it's the end of the world. You still have confidence in your team. You still have confidence in yourself um, because you know that like, if you just keep putting in the work, the results are going to turn. And like, even that loss to the Kings, they lost that game because they couldn't shoot. That's it. Like that, there's no further analysis required of that game. Like there are people, you know, bitching about the defense, and it's like, guys, me and Press talked about this last week, but it's like the Kings are the number one offense in the league. Like they're gonna put up points. You you have to accept that. And the Kings' offense is literally like when we're, back when it was like Tibbs hate fest time for like the first half of the season, and we we were just like, oh, it would be just so great to just have an option with like a bunch of movement and a bunch of options, maximizing everybody's skill sets in perfect heart. That's like actually. The Kings' offense, like that's the right. offense that everybody wishes they had. Yeah, and then at, and you can't even look at just their top line offensive efficiency because you have to look at it at, at home, where they are just you. You look whatever their number is, it's even crazier when they are playing at home. And Denver is very similar, and then obviously the Knicks are playing them next. So you, these teams, when they're at home, it's just like they're so impossible to to guard. And you and you nailed it. There was tired legs. This team didn't have their shot making, but overall, I thought that was like such a positive performance i didn't i didn't you know wake up the next morning feeling dejected at all i felt like all right this team they just fight and they have this you mentioned the belief and, and that's like if i'm going to credit tibbs on anything it's that he won't let this team quit or give or just back off a little bit you know the way they they play and that's part of like how they, he's they've designed this roster the fit the tibbs outlook and we can it's mocked and it's it's cliched, but there's something to that. They have guys that are just playing, that are able to to withstand whatever ajda he give he gives them. But the positive is that he won't let them quit, and that is just. I know teams have quit on him in the past. I get it, but this team, because of the the components they have, will not quit. And we've seen moments where the season we felt like, all right, if they lose this game, is Tibbs out? And there's been at least two of them where we thought. I know the Cleveland game most uh, the last one. We thought if he loses this game. He might get fired the next day. Tim and, said that he thought that. Yeah. I mean, so, and this team, obviously, like, they want to, he instills something in them. And I know a lot of it is just like, these are the who they are. Quickly is going to play hard regardless of who the coach is. I get that. But Tibbs gives them that sort of want to, that ability to just play at this pace for such a extended period on the, on the defensive end that it's just, I, I find myself just watching them being so impressed just by the level of, even when the shots aren't falling, you know they're exhausted. They're still not backing off on that end in terms of like what they need to do to, to win these games. Maybe the Charlotte game was like the only one where I thought, all right, there's some back. They, they clearly weren't playing at that same level. But beyond that, even in the games they lost on the West Coast, I thought they played hard. Yeah, Real there's quick. a give a shit factor. Yeah, Real, absolutely. Right on that point and kind of tying to what we were talking about, about the depth, um, the combination of buy-in and then also just sheer talent depth is it's pretty notable and it's kind of like a throwback to the NBA like 10 plus years ago where teams there would be a couple of teams that were both contenders and deep 
like really deep. Like Josh Hart is starting on a lot of teams. Like so, you said, quick quickly this, is a this is a back in my day little speech you give here. This is a back in my day, bro. <laughs> I'm fucking old and washed. If, if the Patreon listeners haven't already figured that out, then you that's guys don't <laughs> you guys don't know about the 2009 Western Conference, okay? <laughs> I know, I know. Me, we were in. A, we have a our draft contributors Twitter DM separately, and me and Stacy are like the elder states persons and. <laughs> Stacy was like, he thought he was older than all the Knicks. And then we were like, wait, D Rose is still here. And D Rose has him by like, like a couple weeks or something. Like How old is D Rose? He's 34. And we're, me and Stacy and D Rose. No comment. Like, no comment. <laughs> this is, look, the draft chat, like half the people in the draft chat, like there's teenagers in that shit. But right, I, I will, I've had multiple conversations with people on Twitter. And I'll, I'll like go back and forth with them and they're like, whatever, annoy me. And then I'll look at their profile and it'll be like 17, you know, class of whatever. And I'm like, what the, That's are, what are you kidding really. me right now with this? Like, I can't, <laughs> be, I, have to, I, I can't be doing this right now. This is, yeah. This <laughs> class is of thing. 2028. Like, Oneonta <laughs> high school. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then like, yeah. but yeah, to, to bring back to the buy-in, like you said, we're, like even if we pay, like if you poll Nick fans on what quickly is gonna get, like what would you two say if you had to guess? You're like, what would you th- say? Quickly? everything he wants, <laughs> not from you, from Leon Rose. All right, we all know you would gleefully be his servant. <laughs> like four, four eighty, four eighty five, something like that seems reasonable. Yeah, four. Yeah, I would say. Uh, I mean, he. I think he could touch the the hundred mil. Um, but I think four eighty five, four ninety is fair. Yeah, so somewhere between like 480 and 400, maybe a little more. And I think we can all agree that if he just started and played 32 minutes a game, not even Tibbs started, just like regular coach started, he would basically automatically get like $110 million. I think he might be a max guy in that sense. Yeah, exactly. So like we're, we're pretty much on the verge of an like automatic Brunson contract level super steal for the second fucking time. And there's like no worry about IQ despite that. That's because this fucking super happy warrior ass dude is like, he's just bought in and locked in with this team. Tibbs is giving him the chance to shine and close. And he's pressing the right buttons with regards to IQ, which is like a ludicrous statement after the last three years of our lives as fans. You have Hart, who's, you know, got like the Portland game was a perfect example. Like, People can talk about like, oh yeah, the trade was a win-win. Portland got an upside no, play. It's not no, a they win-win. didn't. All right, bro. Like exactly. Like, not, like they got... that, that's a that's a that's a win for the Knicks. And it's, it's a win a, for Cam Reddish. That's who it's, it's a win. It's, for. It's, I, I just gotta say, this. it's a win for Portland because they got a first round pick. That's it. Mm. Cam Reddish was just in that deal to make salary work. And I gotta say this, Cam Reddish. Like you want to know? You mentioned this just before, um, Ace. You talked about like Tibbs gets buy-in, but also like these guys are kind of like. They they're gonna give you that no like you know quickly is not gonna quit right right here's the difference between a guy like Deuce McBride and Cam Reddish Deuce McBride was put into the rotation the Knicks won a bunch of basketball games they were a winning team once Deuce was put in the rotation they go get Josh Hart Deuce is immediately DNPCD every single game basically unless it's garbage time okay does he pout is he crying is he leaking to media oh like it was wrong what was done to me it's politics blah blah no because because you know what 
Like, this front office deserves credit for this. They have drafted players who take joy in the work. The work is what they care about, right? And that what that means is that you think Deuce is happy about not playing? No. no. Nobody's happy about, like, I was playing and now I'm not playing. How you react to that says everything about you, right? And a guy like Deuce didn't take it and was like, this is politics, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. No. He took it. He's clearly been working. He's kept his head up. He's clearly working behind the scenes. He got another shot because Brunson is hurt. And guess what? He's been really good. In these three games in a row that he's played, he's been really good. I thought he should have played more in that Clippers game, quite frankly. I thought it was crazy he didn't play in the second half of that game. Um, and he's he's showing you that, like, hey, you can depend on me when you need me, and I'm going to be ready. And then you look at, like, the comments that Cam made, right, where he was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's politics. I was always looking over my shoulder and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what is, what, what's the, what's the saying? Excuses are like assholes. Everybody's mm-hmm. got one. Like right. Cam always has an excuse. Oh, in Atlanta, they didn't believe in me. Oh, in New York, Tibbs is mean. Like, what is his excuse going to be now? Well, because, he's got, he, well, the fact, yeah, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, no, but it's ahead. like Cam has been told he, he's this, he's this future, like, um, heliocentric superstar since probably his high school days and that it was only a matter of time and that, um, sorry about that. I don't know if that was on, on me, but if, if, the fact that, you, you know, Duke didn't work out is because like they had Zion and they had RJ and it, he wasn't like included in the offense enough. And then obviously, you know, he wasn't a fit in, in Atlanta. Then the Knicks, it, it didn't work out. But, you know, the, the fact is this, if you look at other than Julius and RJ, if you look up and down this roster, these are guys that weren't like the best recruits. They were guys that had to figure things out like quickly. You know, he wasn't. I, I Schwinn, you can, or uh, Prez, you can keep me honest here. I don't believe he was like the starting point guard his sophomore year at in Kentucky, right? No, he wasn't. And it, actually, he was. his 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 arc is pretty interesting because he was he was actually a high. He was like a five star recruit. He was a five star yeah. recruit. He was had a McDonald's, freshman year. Yeah. He was and a then neither, American. neither him nor Tyrese Maxey was the lead ball handler. That distinction goes to oh, Ashton Hagens. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and well, like the, your, yeah, to your point, like yeah. he he didn't even start. Initially, forget lead baller. He wasn't even a starter his second year. Initially, he keeps grinding. He gets put in the starting lineup. He wins SEC Player of the Year. Like ditto for Grimes, right? A guy who had to bounce around in college and and go yeah. learn how to be an off-ball player. And like, yeah, Deuce McBride was a football player. I mean, that's yeah. kind of where he honed his athletic, um, you know, uh, gravitas. And he's still learning sort of the inner workings of like what a lead guard is and like and you know, snaking and doing all the things that a point guard needs to do. It's still a work in progress, but. The adversity some of these players on this roster, as even Julius, and you know, obviously his yeah. first year with the Knicks, and then you know, obviously last he year, broke and his he, leg as soon as he became an NBA player. First, like drive of his career, it's yeah. it, he's out, he's out for the year. So th- I think that is part of what it, it is. And you look at a guy like Cam, who just is, it's very, I can imagine it being very easy for him just to say, everyone else is who's telling me I'm this future superstar. They're right, and all these coaches that aren't giving me my time, they're wrong. And I feel like that's been such a detriment to him not to play like pseudo you know, psychologist here but I think the you know the Knicks have built this roster and that goes back to what I said earlier with guys that have this like level of of drive because you know they aren't the most talented I mean they are very talented we can talk about like some of the things that Josh Hart does on in transition these guys have talent but they also are like not guys that have been like given things throughout, throughout their career they've had to take things yeah. and I think well, that has created this like great roster of like effort Brunson's Brunson's the best example of this because he gets he he's a national player of the year in college, two time champion. Mm-hmm. I think he was the most outstanding player of the Final Four of the year they won his last year, his junior year, 
when they may have beaten Michigan in the final. Um, but like, like he, he, he's a second round pick and he goes to Dallas and he's coming off the bench and then they go to the playoffs his third year and he struggles and Rick Carlisle, you know, he's just like, whatever. I don't, you know, Rick Carlisle, like he had, he has had, he had to earn being in the starting lineup his fourth year in Dallas. And then he's getting called no help. That's what they were calling Brunson in in Dallas. He was no help. Oh, Luca doesn't have anybody. Luca doesn't mm-hmm. have this. Luca doesn't have that. Maybe Luca should stop being a fat shit and do something off ball. That might be an, that might help. Um, that might help other guys become not help. Actually, that that might that that might be part of it. But like, like you know, he and he obviously comes to New York, and now you're seeing like we we got a glimpse of it right in the playoffs mm-hmm. last year. And I think what he averaged like twenty and seven in games without Luca last year. I think that was like a twenty game sample. So like we we've seen glimpses, but now you're seeing it over an extended stretch, and you're seeing it when he is like he's on scouting reports, right? He's the t- he's the number one guy or the number two guy, probably the number one guy, I, I would assume. But like he, he and he's owning that, and then you're seeing all these other dudes, and it's like I actually had a theory about this, and we'll see how it plays out. But like, and this is not. I want to be very clear. This is ultimately still like on RJ, and this is not to shit on Cam Moore. But like I thought. Some of the behavior that we saw, and it's like, look, when I say behavior, like, we're not talking about a guy who's like, this isn't John Moran, let's put it that way. Um, but, like, some of the tendencies, the behaviors that we saw from RJ early in this season on the defensive end, rebounding, you know, I didn't really, like, I didn't care that he didn't talk to the media after that game where he got benched on the stretch. But I also am thinking to myself, like, this doesn't feel like the RJ we saw his second year. It doesn't feel like the RJ we saw at the end of last year when, like, because Randall kind of just went AWOL, he kind of had to step into this void that he probably wasn't ready for to be like the franchise player and take, you know, take all the questions from the media and answer them after each game. And I didn't like what I was seeing from him this year to a point. And like, again, I don't think this is all because Cam is there, but like, you know, you see them, they're always sitting next next together on the sidelines. And actually when he had that thing where he was like, I'm not going to talk to the media today, there was, Bondi had that. And he said that like, Cam, he had Cam tell the media that. And I'm like, why is Cam Reddish like your, your fucking like, you know, your, your voice for you here? Why is he your spokesperson? And that's just weird to me. And I, and like, we know how that Cam obviously did not take well to being benched and he would, he didn't want to like fight for minutes, right? He didn't like the competition part of it. And I think bringing Hart in, I'm hopeful that it triggers something in RJ again, where he gets back to being that guy his second year in the league where it's like he's doing all the boring, you know, annoying stuff on defense that makes him a vital defensive cog and helps the defense as a, like, like helps complete the team defense. Because he was not doing the small things this year. He's not, he wasn't making extra rotations. He wasn't fighting for box out positions. And you know what? He still is struggling a bit with box outs. But I think there's been a tangible difference in his defensive effort overall since Josh Hart got here. I think he understands that. Like Josh Hart, he can take my minutes. Like Tibbs will give him my minutes, and Tibbs will give quickly my minutes. And so, like now, there's an urgency for him, like where it's not just about scoring. You know, it's not like I've got to. It, it's him. also because he got he got paid right, and then yeah. now it's like okay, I did that. So that's already that that accomplishment is checked. Like the next accomplishment is like if not being that guy, then being one of them guys. And if you have guys like Quickly and Hart who can fucking hoop their asses off, and you're like, oh, like, I got the money, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be that guy. That 
that's that's not nothing. And we've seen RJ like like for all his being the chosen one and Maple Mamba and all this stuff, he's talked about it before. He's he's never been the athletically gifted one of his crew, of his class, right? Like the one, two, three of that class, him, Zion, and Cam. He was the shortest. Well, maybe he's like the same height as Zion, but like the least physically gifted, even though he was strong, Zion was stronger. Even though he was tall, Cam was tall, taller. Even though he could dribble, Cam could dribble better, right? Even yeah. though he could shoot, Cam was considered better. This are was we, in high school, we, though, right? Are we sure Cam can dribble better? <laughs> Cam could theoretically dribble better, right? In the right. same way, I can dribble cool when I'm playing pickup <laughs> basketball, all right? Your mileage may vary. Turnovers come soon. Yeah, but, like you, you're right. And, you know, uh, I think the fact is there's been a proof of concept in the sense that RJ was – he only played 12 minutes in that Charlotte game in the first half. And for a second, I was wondering, is Tibbs going to make the switch coming out of that? Because the, he just was listless and um, all the things we're talking about were present in terms of the negatives for RJ in that first half. Um, Tibbs doesn't bench him. He comes out in the third quarter and actually played. I think he made four of his first five and was didn't finish great in that game, but played much better. And he just seems like he's moving uh, a little better of late. And for me, it's like, once Brunson is back, RJ rebounding on the defensive end is so important because he's the one guy that really pushes the ball when their offense is is whole, when Brunson is back. And you look at the Knicks transition when their our starters are playing, it's RJ usually rebounding and going. And I know it ends with him sometimes taking a bad shot, but the fact that he got, he's the guy that paces their offense in the in a positive way. So his defensive rebounding is huge, and we know he's not going to create events on, on defense, but getting in the way and just being in the right spot is, is huge. And yeah, I was, I couldn't figure out, you know, why he was not playing that way defensively this year. So maybe there's something to be said about like the influences um, behind the scenes. And uh, you know, those are the things that we don't, we don't know, but it's something to think about. Yeah. And, and and to be clear, like, I don't think like, I'm, I really am not trying to be like, Oh, Cam is like the fucking reason for this stuff, but it is, there's something to like, Cam, Cam, and him can be boys, and some of your boys will push you, and some of your boys will just be like, "No, have another beer, you're fine." Like, there's a difference, and like Josh Hart's come into this team fits like a glove across the board. Like, he, I cannot imagine a more perfect player to mesh with the roster, to address weaknesses that were deficient on the roster, and to immediately capture Tom Thibodeau's heart, his cold, cold heart. Um, but like, he's obviously done that. And then you just kind of see like, like, you know, Prez, you like, we, we've talked about this. I want to, I, I want to mention this too. My dad's a Celtics fan. He fucking hates quickly. Like absolutely hates quickly now. Um, and I'm just like, I was, I sent Prez a clip and it's like, it was against Portland where it's like quickly hits his three and he's, you know, he's doing his like dance or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, I would fucking hate this guy if I played, like if I was another team. So I'm like, he's just making threes. And then he's just like this happy dude, like. It's like praising Jesus and his mom in the post game. And it's- yeah, I mean, in the Boston game, he was at 50 minutes. He makes a layup and he's like skipping up and down the court yeah. <laughs> after playing 50 minutes. I'm like, how do you have the energy? And also, like, the balls to do this on, you know, in Boston in front of that crowd. I'm like, all right, this kid is like, he's just different. Uh, there's yeah. something, you know, in terms of his like his aura, there's just something about him. And yeah, uh, I love it. And I can yeah. see you're right. If you're not, a, if he's not on your team, that can certainly rub you. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, and, and what I was going to say is like, so quickly he's got like this happy warrior thing going on. Hart's just out there. Like 
bruising mm-hmm. dudes. He's just like running into the fucking crowd to save a loose ball. He's like running. His he's the kind of guy who in pickup basketball, oh he's god, mad fucking annoying to play. And then between games, he's like the nicest, most charismatic guy. And you're <laughs> like, oh fuck, you're charming, and I want to get happy hour drinks with you. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, but it's and it's like, but he like I think Hart brings. Like, I I don't I don't never thought this team is soft like I really have not I I think they've like but like they didn't have um like random a dirty player <laughs> not even a dirty player but it's like they didn't the have an ed- you don't have an edge like like Randall when he plays on the edge it's probably not a good thing no uh, <laughs> but like like they don't have a guy who plays on the edge and is like really like I mean that's, that's when Randall's like I'm gonna make a dirty play he's like hey ref. Watch this. And yeah. just Look at this like, elbow. No, no, watch. somebody like 30 feet sliding down the floor. Meanwhile, Josh Hart knows all like the sneaky role well, player tricks. Well, that jo- Josh Randall Hart had that learned. play. He had that play against Boston where he literally like. Just took out like, half the team like the fucking out, winter soldier. He, he took out Tatum and then he gets up and like pushes Jalen Brown in the back on a layup. And then he gets called for the foul and he starts complaining that he, he gets called for a foul. I'm like, you committed like, like an actual assault. And then you committed a normal basketball foul, and you only got called for one foul in this play. I think you should take the W and move on. But like, I think there's something about bringing that edge. And like, you know what? I think maybe Grimes is feeling that a little bit, where he's pressing because he sees that, like, man, like this guy's playing not just with an edge, but he's having an impact on the floor. And if if I'm like, if if I can't make things happen out here, like he's gonna take my minutes. He's gonna close the game tonight. He's gonna close this half. Like, and. That we'll see how he reacts to it. I'm actually, I mean, I haven't hated what I've seen from Grimes recently. It's obviously been kind of ugly, but like, I think he's just going through normal development shit for a second year guy. And hundred percent, what you're seeing now from him is like, Hart is an extremely versatile player, especially when he's shooting well. Quickly is just always super versatile player, right? Like, probably the most on our roster. Even Grimes is pretty versatile, like offensively I think Really, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grimes is normally like extremely good at the things he does but like teams are beginning they know for example you can run him off the line and then expect him to pass on a 100 mile an hour drive so he's he's at the point where he's having to like just go through those development bumps and we quickly went through this not this year but previously when uh he over relied on his floater and i think he even went through started playing the floater and he didn't adjust like he he wouldn't drive on, it think, took him a while, and I think I think he even went through it early this season. We talked about this where he was struggling, and I was like, like how many times early in the season did we see him pump fake on an open three and right. then into the paint? And you're like, what was the point of that? <laughs> like, what, what what were you doing there? But it's like part of you're so excited, like oh, I can drive now. I added this over the summer. I want to show it off, and it's like you got to find that balance of like, like ultimate, like at their core, right? Like what is the thing that got quickly in the NBA, his shooting. What is the thing that got Grimes picked by the Knicks 25th overall? It's his shooting. And, like, at the end of the day, like, I, you guys have, like, a favorite drink? Like, like oh, like, you know, I like, I like a, a scotch, you know? like Old-fashioned, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's like, like, yeah, you might go to a party, and you're like, oh, they got, like, this other shit I want to try. But then, right. like, at the end of the night, you're like, all right, my last drink, let me get the old-fashioned, like, mm-hmm. cap it off. Like, you got to go home sometimes. Like you just gotta find home, and like I think Grimes is doing this thing right now where he's like, he's like trying to show, and he, now he's trying to figure out like, oh, I gotta be aggressive, and it's like, you know what would be awesome is if you stop trying to play at seven thousand miles an hour, and 
like you see it now with his jumper too, where he's like rushing jump jump shots, and it's like just slow the fuck down. You have a jump shot that literally looks perfect. Like it looks perfect. Um, I don't. Prez probably has disgusting dreams about Quentin Grimes's jump shot for him, and like. I'm like, you, nobody can block that shit. So you don't need to rush to get the shot off. Relax, take a breath, and just put up your shot, like, in rhythm. Just play in rhythm. Right now, he's not playing in rhythm. I think he's pressing for a variety of reasons. And one of those is just, like, Josh Hart has come to this team and is, like, I don't know how... I don't remember a player just so immediately, like, putting their stamp on the team. And also... I, but this is, I think this is even beyond that, man. This is something different. Like, this guy is out here doing whatever the fuck. <laughs> like, he's just doing whatever needs to be done to get wins. And I thought, like, he had one of the better, he's had a couple of really interesting quotes. Like, there was one that after where he, they were like, this was like during that, you know, nine game win streak we had. And, you know, he was like, we want, we don't want to just make the playoffs. We think we can make a run in the playoffs. And, like, I think he has that type of like bravado that you need somebody like that. Like, I don't know, back in the day, I'm sure Ace, because he's the, uh, the nineties hoops, uh, here. like a guy that was like that, who I fucking hated growing up was Mario Ellie. Mario Ellie had yeah. like, the biggest fucking balls ever. Right. The <laughs> right. Like, well, Houston had a couple of them, uh, Sam Cassell, Ellie. Yeah. I mean, they were just, Ori. Oh, Ori, God, they were tough. But yeah, you're right. And you, you hate playing against them. Gives you a lot of confidence, man. Seriously. Hart's got a little Smith bit of that. made a whole career out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Jet. And, and it's it's true. And there, and he's brought so much. And we could talk maybe about his what he's brought in terms of the skill. And he's – I had tweeted earlier how Toppin has become this – you know, he sort of revitalized him in the sense that I felt like there were these, and we talk about adjusting and like you're going through like, you know, adjustments as a player. And clearly the Knicks have prioritized Toppin's ability to space the floor. And I feel like there's been times where that he has used that as a crutch. And it's, and I don't know if it's the fact that he wasn't confident in getting the ball, but I remember that Boston game opening night last year and he was unreal getting up and down the court. And that lasted throughout the season. And his sprint speed was like, a thing people would tweet about like, Oh, he's the fastest like end end player in the league or one of them. And that skill eroded this year and it has completely returned since Josh Hart. And he has a guy now that can marry what he does and, uh, and Hart, what they both can do in this like beautiful symbiotic way. And I really feel like there's this level of unlocking Obi Toppin, which is so important for the scene because he provides Obi that is this uh, ability to go up and down the court. And when you have Josh Hart rebounding, so maybe Obi doesn't have to like worry about that as much now where you can you know have those leak outs uh, strategically. But the fact that he has gone 18 of 19 at the rim since over, over the past handful of games to me speaks to some small sample size theater theater, but also the fact that Josh Hart has assisted him on a lot of those. And these are easier looks and he's gotten so far this year. So to me, it's like that part of, you know, the mental side of things and the, the the belief and all those things are important. But the fact that Josh Hart is such an elite transition player and the, and you can pair him with Obi and it's such a, it's like this perfect marriage that has been a joy to watch. And Obi was the guy a few weeks ago where I was just waiting for him to sort of, even during the win streak, I just never thought he was, you know, joining the party, so to speak. He was still yeah. a step behind and we'll see if the shooting comes around, but 
even if it doesn't, if he is this transition uh, demon up and down the floor, then that is a huge uh, boon for the team. That was like 12 to 15 minutes he has. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like Obi joining the party the last few games has just bring so much. Like my heart is like, oh, finally, like Obi's mm-hmm. with us here um, because he's like such a fun player and he's such a good dude. Like you just want you want him to be part of this. You know, you want him to feel like that he is important to the team. And like, you know, look, is he going to be on the team after the season? Whatever. Like, we'll see. I mean, maybe not, whatever. But while he's here, he can help us. Like, he has skills that can really help us. And, um, like, he gets you those cheap points, right? He mm-hmm. gets you, like, he can get you, like, four to six cheap points a game that you don't have to work for anything. You don't have to run a play. He's just, just because he's fast. Um, and we're back to getting those now. Hart, you're right, has, like, I think activated him a bit. Um, I, I do, I feel like it's so weird watching quickly because I'm like, I like there's no question in my mind right now. He is a better all around ball handler, playmaker, whatever with the ball. But I feel like, and this is interesting. We we talked about this early in the season when shit was bad, but like the Knicks have clearly made an active choice from Tibbs and, you know, from the organization where it's like, we don't care if you guys want some beautiful flowing offense. This is how we're going to play. We're going to ISO a lot. We're going to slow the game down. We're going to grind it out. We're going to be a bitch to box out against because we're going to get every fucking offensive rebound and we're going to bludgeon you to death. And we think our shot between Brunson and Randall and quickly and RJ, we have just enough shot creation to play that style and, and be a damn good offense doing it. And they've, at least in the regular season, I I still have questions about it in the playoffs, but in the regular season, that shit works. Um, And, but I do think like part, like part of the reason Obi has struggled um, at times to really just, find his way, I think, is because of that play style. Because you're leaning so much into it. And Hart, like, just kind of doesn't care. He's like, that's cool. I'm just going to get this rebound, and I'm going to barrel into, like, five people. I'm actually not going to have any idea what I'm doing half the time. But at the end of it, we are going to get a layup, or I will kick it out to somebody for a three, and it'll be great. Um, Because he's just, like, RJ has a lot of, like, no, 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 no possessions in transition. And Hart has, like, a lot of, no, 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 great play. Good fucking shit, Josh. Yeah, it, well, there's so many times where he'll literally be dribbling the ball at half court. I'm like, all right, he's not getting to the rim. And then all of a sudden, he's got like a pretty easy finish with either hand. I'm like, how did he get there? And he's a guy that, you know, he won't test. He did probably didn't test amazingly athletically at the combine. But he's a strength. functional strength and functional athleticism in spades. Like he is a – he's one of the – and I think McBride has a little bit of this too where you're going to put him in a testing environment and it's not he's not going to blow you away. But his athleticism – on the floor just pops in a way that transcends whatever testing measure you have. He's also just really skilled. Like he can he do all four versions of like whatever foot he needs to jump off and whatever hand he needs to finish. So left, left foot jump, right hand finish, left foot jump, left hand finish, right foot, left foot, right. I mean, right, left, bleh, you get what I'm trying to say. You yeah, got he all can, that. He can, he can do like the, the, the traditional finishes, then he can do the wrong foot, wrong hand finish, right? Like, yeah. So if you combine that with a functional strength, that means like the only way to basically stop him is like you have to be extremely good at backpedaling rim protection and large, like, because he's going to bump you out the way. So you basically need to be like one of these dudes on the Bucks who can like be vertical, go back, and still be like six foot 10. If you're not that, then. He's going to move you just enough to get to one of these soft touch finishes that is optimal for whatever situation he's in. And there's pretty much nothing you can do about it. And the numbers bear that out. His finishing numbers are crazy. 
yeah, I mean, he, he's just been awesome. And, like, it's not just Obi. I, I think he's just – I it felt like – not that the team was struggling or anything – but it, it did feel like there were certain games matchups where you're like, ah, I'm not sure they have the they have the kind of like physical capability to get away with being a little bit undersized. Mm-hmm. But he gives them that. Like Josh Hart is six four, and I swear to God, he plays like he's six ten. You see it plays, on defense too. Like yeah. we saw um in the last couple of games, like like Grimes is a really good defender, but there's times when he looks six five. You're right. like he's an extremely good six five defender. Hart. Hart, that happens to him sometimes too, but less often because he knows the art of like how to be extra fucking physical without getting a foul call. Grimes is still kind of learning that. There's times I'll be watching Hart and I'm like, I, I tweet about this all the time. I don't know what a fucking foul is in the modern NBA. I just don't. Maybe other people do on the internet, but I don't. So I'll be watching Hart and he'll just make me like double down on that sentiment i'm just like okay seems like it's a foul but he keeps doing this and he's seems to be okay with the rest like, i think i think part of it is like like you saw this in the boston games tatum was not comfortable against him and you could see that i think refs can feel that when you're not comfortable against somebody so they're almost naturally like willing they're naturally going to let you get away with more because they're just like it doesn't look right. You know, that's why Smart gets away with so much shit because he's so fucking annoying to play against and he makes you so uncomfortable. Like, he must have fouled Julius like 7,000 times that game and he got called for like two. Like, I, I don't know. And Julius got called for a couple. But it's like, there are those guys that just make you super uncomfortable because they fight you all the way and you know that if you slip up at all, they're going to get a deflection. They're going to poke it away. You're going to have to reset that offense. It's not comfortable playing against Josh Hart. Um, and, you know, before we kind of shift the conversation, I do want to say, Hartenstein on this West Coast trip was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Really awesome. I don't care that he didn't score the last two games. Those might have been his two best games as a Nick. He's really um, healthy. He he his pick and roll coverages against Portland were mm-hmm. tremendous. Um he was showing out so high on Dame, recovering yep. back. Like he 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 played a phenomenal defensive game. He's rebounding really well. And and also I will say this, like I I think this is the best. This is the best defensive coaching stretch of Tibbs' time in, in Easily. I, I Easily. don't even think it's close. Like, How long the, were we asking for, like, okay, Hart isn't fucking Bam, but you can let him throw different pitches out here. He doesn't have to be in fucking yeah. and, deep and, job all the time. And it's not, it's not just that, too, right? Like, yeah, he's allowing his centers. He's playing more to the strengths of his individual centers. But, like, he's also letting Julius switch more, right? He is – I don't know if this is because they just fucking do it, and he can't control them or because like he allows them to. But I think you're seeing a lot of like intuitive switches and traps and, and helping and stuff like that from, from heart and from quickly. And and when deuce plays from deuce, like I just think you're seeing a lot more versatility defensively than we had seen, even during the 41 and 31 we here season, like that team just did what it did mm-hmm. every fucking second day around the court. This team has a lot more talent. And I think he's finally leaned into letting that talent play and, and and trusting these guys more. And I think maybe that, that's a big thing about getting Josh Hart. This is clearly a guy that he has loved from afar forever. Um, and I think he just trusts him. So he just lets him fucking do whatever he wants out there. And I think we, like you're seeing that kind of rub off on quickly and you're seeing that rub off on like a deuce where it's like, they're just, yeah, they're, they're still like, these guys are still executing the scheme. Don't get it twisted. But like, they're doing a little bit more now. They're they're switching a little bit more. They're they're helping off their man. Like they're taking some more risks. And I, I just think 
it bodes well for playoff basketball where you do need to be more flexible. Um, so like, again, I, I, you know, Hartenstein is kind of like a microcosm of this, but um, you're just seeing a lot more flexibility from Tibbs. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And just to quickly wrap on that there, if they play Cleveland, there's going to be moments and we're seeing it. We saw it already in the West coast where Hartenstein is just going to be the better option than Mitch because of that ability. And we talk about like Mitch being a high level athlete for a center. And I think he is in a lot of ways, but Hartenstein is, much more adaptable in terms of his ability to play different coverages where Mitch is, he's basically a, in my opinion, a drop center that plays it really well. But when they, in that Portland game, when they were asking him to do a little bit more show, he doesn't have that agility to get back and recover. And Hartenstein is not the athlete overall that Mitch is, but I think he just, he was able to handle that sort of um, responsibility a little better. And if they end up playing Cleveland, they're going to have to vary their pick and roll coverages up a lot. And Hartenstein just may, and this will be a conversation obviously for later, but he just end up may, he, he may end up being the better option for that. And he's already closing games and um, Mitch is going to have to play better to keep his, his spot locked down. That's for yeah. sure. And I think like, again, that actually speaks even more to like the like, Tibbs has shown this year. I mean, look, Brunson and Randall, just they're going to close. So mm-hmm. we don't even need to like, but like these, the other three spots, He's shown throughout the year, like I'm like he's willing to who's whoever's got it going that night or whoever he thinks has it going that night will close the game. Mm-hmm. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for that because this is the shit that drove us nuts last year, right? Where we were like, please try anything but the things that you keep doing. So um this is a huge change from Tibbs. And whether that's, you know, just him on his own or he's got voices in his ear that he's finally listening to, I don't really give a shit. Um, I'm happy that it's happening. Uh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna continue talking about Knicks, but before we do that, ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here right now. New customers can bet just five dollars on college hoops and get two hundred dollars in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, app opt in, and place a no sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code XXX. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose, only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code XXX. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Wow, that was one of my worst ad reads in a while. Going to have to step on my game here. Um, All right, Prez. I don't know what the hell you wanted to talk about. You DM me about it, and I was just like, "Yeah, it sounds good, dude. Whatever you want to do." Um, so the sh- the floor is yours, sir. I don't even know what spurred me to think about this, but all, my best, in- all my best ideas, by the way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, it's something that comes up randomly, like once every like couple weeks. I feel like me and Schwinn will DM each other, like you know who's like low key good on a team that like none of us seem to care about. And then we'll talk about some buy low player that one of us was like high on, on in the draft like five years ago or something. <laughs> so, it, you know, we're approaching that time of the year, right? Where we're seeing you have the teams that are competing for the chip. You have the teams competing for the play in. You have the teams that are for sure tanking. And then you have the teams that are like drowning slowly, like the Raptors and the Hawks and stuff like that, where they're not tanking egregiously, but you're like, okay, their season is going down into the whirlpool and they have a bunch of restricted free agents and 
team players are going to switch teams and the teams who are going to, you know, begin signing players in the off season, their fans are beginning to think about who do we want? So like, I wanted to talk about buy low guys. The Knicks don't really have any room to buy anyone low. They're going to make it rain on some of the players they have hard and quickly and maybe bring on a rookie baby. And that's probably it. So barring, even if they trade a guy, like I, I, there's, there's not, this is not the team to buy low and reclaim anyone. I don't think, but it's still a really interesting topic to me. Well, so, well, but buy low can also mean like I think we bought low a little bit on Josh Hart. I mean, at the time, I'll be honest, like that's fair. At the time, I thought it was actually a little bit of an overpay, but like then you see all these reports that came out after like the trade deadline passes, and it's like you had teams offering four firsts for Macal Bridges, and you had th- two firsts for Dorian Finney-Smith, and it's like what the fuck, like so. Maybe I I probably just underestimated the market, but like, I mean, you look at this now. We're probably talking about a pick that's in the twenties for Josh Hart, who has been you know we just waxed poetic about him and like his tangible and intangible qualities for about fifteen minutes. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that can be part of it too. So it it doesn't necessarily just need to mean reclamation project. It can also that's be true. like the very yeah. true. So. Yeah, we can, you know, we can take turns. Uh, we can let the guests go first. Ace, I don't know if anybody you. jumps yeah, to mind. I got a couple. So I'm, basically where I was thinking, I was like, all right, give me guys that have performed. This is like my first sort of like box. Guys that have played well, but maybe not have had like a lot of opportunity. And, you know, we talked about how the Knicks aren't going to buy low on anyone. But there is a guy on the Knicks roster that to me fits that bill. And that's Obi Toppin. Because I think if you're a, a team on the outskirts and you're looking at him, you're seeing oh, yeah. some of the things that were <laughs> we've already talked about. You're like, listen, if I give this guy 20 to 25 minutes or whatever, and he's a and we sort of bring back the OB rim running guy from from Dayton, and he's only 25, and there's certainly some things that you can unlock there. To me, like he is a prototypical by low in that sort of category where there ha- it's not only theoretical there's been proof of concept that like he's performed well but because of circumstances you know beyond his control and in, in, in large part he hasn't been able to showcase it all so to me like he's a he was actually the first guy i thought about and um to me i think i don't think he's going to be on the team next year uh, unfortunately and i think someone is going to find a guy that is a much better nba player than he has been able to showcase so far 